You're listening to the North Canton Chapel podcast. Thank you for joining us today. The North Canton Chapel exists to make much of Jesus every day to everyone. It's our prayer that this podcast will equip you to do just that. We believe that there's nothing like the church united together in gospel community. We'd love if you'd stop in and say hello in person if you're in our neighborhood. Our gathering times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Thank you again for joining us today. Let's listen in. Well, good morning, NCC family. What an incredible song. What an incredible thought. I need thee every hour. You know, that's really been the heart of this whole series. It might not sound like it. We've been talking about solid ground and talking about doing a lot of work. We've been talking about building and how we know we're building on solid ground. But ultimately, and it's like Brett said earlier, we must rest in the grace of God. We must rest in his work and allow him to lead us more than anything else. And so this week, we are in our final week of solid ground, believe it or not. Can you believe it's been five weeks? We've been running this thing already. We've been in this series for five weeks, and what we've been learning over the last five weeks is that it's so important to know how we build our individual households, any and all individuals living under the same roof, and our spiritual household, the local church. It's important to know how we build these things on the truth of Scripture and on the person and work of Jesus. And so very, very quickly, let's think about where we've been. Over the last couple of weeks, we've learned something uh, over and over again. We've said it almost every single week. And if you would, read this out loud with me. We've learned that everything that we build, the house of our hearts on, apart from the truth of Scripture and the person of Jesus Christ, will fail us. That's been kind of the one single thought that we have clung to this whole series. Everything we build the houses of our hearts on, apart from the truth of Scripture and the person of Jesus Christ, will fail us. And we've learned that some of the ways that we build our houses, we do that through a couple of ways. And we introduced five different rhythms. These rhythms here, read, pray, sing, serve, and rest. And in these rhythms, as we practice these, we learn what it means and how we build our foundation. We took some extended time and looked at what it means for us in our modern day to try to practice Sabbath rest and to look at what that means for us. Now, again, last commercial you're going to get from me. If you are interested in diving deeper into these five rhythms, uh, this Wednesday, registration closes for As For Me and My House. And so in this workshop, we're going to dive deeper into these five rhythms and learn what does that mean for us to really grab hold of these things in our individual households. And again, this is for anyone. This is not just if you are husband, wife with kids. This is empty nesters. This is single. This is everybody. Okay. And so if you're interested in that, uh, registration closes. It is a hard close on February 15th. And so if you call me on February 16th and say, Micah, can I sign up? I will say, unfortunately, no. So this is your last call, okay? So if you need to pull out your phone, go to ncchapel.solidground and do that right now. I will not judge you. It is fine. All right. And then here recently, our student pastor, Austin Hovermail, he walked us through what it means to build foundations that are not just for our houses, not just for our generations, but for generations that follow. 
and generations after that. In a way, he helps us to see that what we are doing now plants spiritual trees that others will sit in the shade of. And we learn how important that is. That's why next week we are doing Amplify, and this entire room is going to look absolutely crazy, and it's going to be a whole lot of fun, and I hope you'll join us for that. But why do we do that? Why would we take a week and just absolutely mess up everything in this room in a really cool way? Uh, Why would we do all the things that we do? Why do we take a Sunday and transform a space that is so normative? Because we believe next generations matter. And as we build houses as a church, we must do the things that matter. And then last week, Pastor James Talbert from Citizens Akron walked us through what it means to know that we are united as one in Christ. And that the only way that we build any of this foundation at all is to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, to be led and guided by him. And so as we conclude this series today, we're taking those last four weeks and we're kind of bundling them all into this one idea, this one challenge that we see in Joshua chapter 24. And it's a challenge that I believe was true for the people of Israel And it's a challenge that I believe is true for us. So if you would, we're going to turn to Joshua 24. And we're going to look in verses 14 and 15. Then I'm going to ask you to stand if you're able. And we're going to read these out loud together. Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15. Let's read together. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. I need to congratulate you all for saying Amorites. Well done. It was the summer of 1994, and for whatever reason, my father enrolled me in a swim class. Now, I'd always been a decent swimmer, always had a good time and just doing my thing, never really had problems with it. And so I was a little confused as to why my dad had enrolled me in a swim class when I had a perfectly good time doggy paddling from one side of the pool to the other. And honestly, I think it was just because he didn't want me to sit in front of a Super Nintendo all summer. But needless to say, he put me in this class and we had to learn all these things in swim class. Some of you that have been a part of this, you know. I had to learn all different kinds of strokes, all these different things. And I'll tell you, I got out of that class what I put into it, which was next to nothing. (laughs) And for some reason, at the end of this course, they have a swim test, okay? Because what better way to terrify fourth graders than have a test where we invite everybody that's at the pool to watch them. And, uh, and so we're doing this thing, and I'm failing one thing after the other, like, because I haven't put the work in. I'm just one thing after the other. And this test concludes with a dive, but not just any dive. We're going off the high dive. Now, mind you, this is the first time in the entire course we have asked this crew to dive off a high dive. And so why this is the ending of a giant, like, course, I have no idea. 
And so, sure enough, I start going up the, the ladder one rung at a time, and all the parents, like everybody's lined around the pool, everyone's watching. And so I'm standing there, and I get to the very top, and I'm holding onto the edges. And I look out, and I see everybody, and I just take one step backward. And I start to take another one. And then I hear my dad, who is gen generally a very quiet and calm man. I hear him from the side of the pool yell, Micah, commit. And my fourth grade body just freezes. <laughs> and I hear in my head, oh, I don't want to disappoint dad. And so I go, I run, I dive, and I have the perfect form of a pancake. <laughs> and I hit that water so hard. Like, you know, you, if you've ever done a belly flop, and you come up out of the water and everyone is still going, oh. You know you did a really good belly flop. <laughs> Micah, commit. No matter what fear I was facing, no matter the pressure of everybody else, I heard the voice of my dad saying, Micah, commit. Now in a very, very loose tie, we look at Joshua 24 in a similar way. God is looking at his children and he says to them, Israel, commit. Israel, commit. Some context for what's happening here in Joshua 24. This is a little bit like a state of the nation address, if you will. Joshua is gathering all the people together, and he is bringing them before God so that God can speak to them. Look in Joshua 24, verse 1. It says, Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before who? God. They didn't present themselves before Joshua. This isn't about what their leader is saying, hey, guys, let's get in line. This is what we need to do. No, no, no. We come and we present ourselves before God. God is the focus here. And as the people gather... He is the one that should be foremost on their minds. Similarly for us, now, when we gather, God should be the first thing on our minds. We don't gather for any specific leader or any specific type of church or any specific gathering or study group or anything like that. Those are seasonings on the main course of Christ and Christ alone. They are good things, but they are not the main thing. And while Joshua is a good leader for his people, he is not the main thing. And so he got, calls them together at this place called Shechem. Now, this is, we're gonna take a brief aside and look at this place because it actually carries some really unique significance for these people. And I'm gonna do this thing where I'm just gonna read this commentary from Kent Hughes because he says it so much more beautifully and eloquently than I could, and I want us to just hear this about this place, okay? It says, the very name Shechem pulsates with significance in the Old Testament story. It was here at Shechem, at the Oak of Morah, that the Lord appeared to Abram and promised to give the land to his offspring. Here, Abram built an altar as an expression of his faith in God's promise. It was here at Shechem that Jacob bought a piece of land from the sons of Hamor after his reconciliation with his brother Esau. And there Jacob built an altar in the name of the God of Israel, Jacob, too, believed God's promise. 
And it was here in the shadow of Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim that Joshua led the nation in its renewal of its covenant commitment to Yahweh following a debacle at Ai. And so as the nation gathers at Shechem, we are prompted to recognize that this wheel has turned full circle. God's promises have been fulfilled. The great nation that God promised Abram now gathers in Joshua 24.1 to meet him at the very place in the very land where this nation was first promised. They are here. The formal assembly of the nation before God at Shechem is a living proof that not one word has failed of all of the good things God has promised. Isn't that cool? That even this place carries significance for this moment. NCC, as we seek to make much of Jesus every day to everyone, we must build our households on the solid ground of God's promises to us. And where do we find God's promises? In the truth of Scripture, in the person and work of Jesus. And so here in this passage, God is going to call Israel to make much of him every day to everyone. It's the same call. And he has brought them to this literal solid ground upon which he first made this promise to Abraham for this nation to even exist. He's been sovereign over their every step. Now, no doubt, as they are building, as they are coming to this moment, there are places and times, moments in Israel's history, when I guarantee you they doubted if God was ever going to be faithful to his promise. Days in which they had years of slavery, decades of wandering, centuries of brokenness and sinfulness. But the beautiful thing about seasons like that is that in the deepest and darkest of valleys, we can find the best views of mountain peaks. The psalmist King David wrote this in Psalm 121. He says, I will lift up my eyes to the mountain." From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. NCC, God is with and for his children. And there may be moments when you feel as though, God, are you ever going to come through? In those moments, lift your eyes to the hills and know where your help comes from. Here in Joshua 24, God is going to draw a line in the sand with his people. He's going to use Joshua to do it. He's calling Israel to remember who he is and what he has done. He's calling them to live lives that now reflect the truths of who God is and what he has done. There's a song we've been singing here often called Yesterday, Today, and Forever, and I love the pre-chorus of it. It says, oh, my soul, remember who you're singing to. Don't we all need those remembrances? 
These moments where we call our minds back, when we start spiraling and forgetting that God is good and that God does what he is going to do, and we start doubting. And we need those moments to remember who he is and what he has done. In the past weeks, we've gone back to Jesus' words often that we need to not only be hearers of the word, but also doers. It's not enough for us to just hear the truth of Scripture. We must heed it. It needs to take root in our lives. We don't simply acknowledge these truths of God. We live them out. And in this state of the nation address, if you will, it culminates in verses 14 and 15, the ones that we read just a little bit ago. And as we look at these two verses, I'm going to draw for us five challenges that I believe that were true for Israel, and they are true for us. And so let's look at them together. Challenge part one, fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Verse 14 begins, now therefore fear the Lord. What does that mean? It means to honor God, to revere him to place our lives under his authority and under his sovereignty. Church, a Christian household that does not fear the Lord is not a household that will sustain when the storms come its way. A household that does not submit to God's authority and to God's sovereignty will wash away when floods come because it is built on sand and not on solid ground. I would dare say that a Christian household that does not seek to honor God, to fear him in the relationships that he has given us, in the circles of influence that he has placed us in, may be a household that is not Christian household by anything other than a declared name. It is a weekend social club that looks like years of religious tradition, years of obligation, but it is not one that has a full understanding of what Jesus has done for us. When we see Jesus rightly, our response to him accordingly is we fear the Lord. We wanna honor him, we wanna serve him, we wanna lift him up above all things, why? Because we see who he is and what he has done. We've experienced the grace of our God and we're forever changed. I wonder if we would do well to take a lesson from history In 1677, there was this church in Dorchester, Massachusetts. And they began to come together and they said, how do we take this building on solid ground seriously? How do we get our our body to focus in so deeply on Jesus? And so they did one of the things we've already talked about in the series. They began to implement what they called family worship at-home worship rhythms, where they said this has to go beyond this gathering and it has to move into our everyday places and spaces. And so what they did is they incorporated it into their governing documents as a church. Like when you would sign a membership agreement and you'd say, if I'm going to be a member of this church, this is what I will do. And so let's read this together. Look at this. It says, we commit to reform our families engaging ourselves to a conscientious care to set before us and to maintain the worship of God in them, meaning we are going to worship God as families, as households, even when we are not gathered, 
and to walk in our houses with perfect hearts and a faithful discharge of all domestic duties, educating, instructing, charging our children and households to keep the ways of the Lord. As a church body, they committed to this. They said, we value this so deeply that if we don't exercise this in our homes, that an elder will come to our door and say, hey, what's going on? And the difference between then and now is that then it would be welcomed. For any of us now, if an elder would show up at our door, if I were to show up at your door, I'd go, hey, when's the last time you prayed with your family? We'd go, bro, who do you think you are? See, we all like the idea of accountability until it's applied to ourselves. NCC, do we fear God this deeply? Do we value fearing the Lord in our homes, in our lives, this deeply? To where we would welcome this kind of discipline. We'd say, yes, bring it on. I need someone to look at me and go, hey, are you leading your household in the ways of the Lord? And if I'm not, I either step in line or I say, well, then I can't be a member because I'm not in right standing with God. Would we do that? It seems foreign to us, doesn't it? NCC, the call to us is the same as it was to Israel. Commit. In fearing the Lord, NCC, commit. Part two. Just as Israel was called to fear the Lord, so should we. And one of the ways in which we do that is also in verse 14, serve the Lord. Fear the Lord and serve the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Different translations of how those words line up could also say, in literally, literally, in completeness and in fullness. We serve the Lord in a whole being act of worship to God for who he is and what he has done. In other words, there's no part of us that is just for us. We don't give God this part of our lives and then this part of our lives. He's either Lord or he's not. So we fear the Lord and we serve him. You know, often before the band and the choir will come on stage when we're standing back there, I will say two things. And so band and choir, if you are here, help me out or this is gonna feel really strange. Uh, but I will say two different phrases to them. The first thing that I will say is make much of Jesus and get out of the way. Make much of Jesus and get out of the way. Why? Because I don't ever want something that we do musically on the stage to be about us. It shouldn't be. Jesus is always the focus. When we do things musically, it should be a tool to help us as a local body see Jesus rightly and worship him. That's what this is for. This is not so we can hear music we like. The music we play is not for us. It is for him. And it should help us to see him rightly. The second thing that I'll often say is, if you're not having fun, you're not doing it right. If you're not having fun, you're not doing it right. Why do I say these things? Because our worship should be sincere. As a local body, our worship should be sincere. We should be faithful in it. It should take us work. But when we are on this stage, when we sing about the things of God, when we are in this room and we sing about the things of God, it should move our hearts in worship. 
It should should never be a show. It should be for Jesus and Jesus alone. We serve the Lord. And so in your places that God has entrusted you, make much of Jesus and get out of the way. But what if, what if this goes wrong, or what if I try to say something, or what if, what if I act in a certain way? Make much of Jesus and get out of the way. Let him do the work. He's better at it than we are. And if you're not having fun, you're not doing it right. The joy of the Lord is our strength. NCC, serve the Lord. Commit. Commit. Part three of the challenge is to put away false gods. Some translations will read, put away the gods that your fathers served. Now, it's not as likely in 2023, not as likely, that in your home you have some physical statue, an idol that you keep on your mantle that you pray to and worship not as likely. However, I think the words from this, there's a song called Clear the Stage. It's written by Ross King. The first time that I heard it, I was in sixth grade at a youth camp. And I remember him singing it, and it just took my mind to a spot where I'm going, man, I've never thought about worship this way. I've never thought about the idols that I have in my heart in this way. And listen to these lyrics. It says, anything I put before my God is an idol. Anything that I can't, anything that I want with all my heart, more than Jesus, is an idol. Anything that I can't stop thinking of, more than God, is an idol. Anything that I give all my love is an idol. And then his challenge, we must not worship something that's not even worth it. So we clear the stage, and we make space for the one who deserves it. Everything that we build the houses of our hearts on, apart from the truth of Scripture and the person of Jesus, will fail us. Even good things can be idols, church. Good and godly gifts, things that he has given us to know him and enjoy him better, can become idols. Is there anything that comes to your mind when I read those lyrics? Anything or anyone that you put in those spots other than Jesus. You know, a good way to determine the idols in your life is to ask, to what do I run to comfort other than Christ? When things get bad, where do I go? To what do I turn other than Christ? To what, to what or who do I look to for guidance? When I lift my eyes to the hills and I say, where does my help come from? Is the answer to that question God? Or is it something else? If it is something else, that may be an idol in your heart. And to quote John Owen, we need to be killing sin before sin is killing you. So what are the idols in our lives? We need to kill them, put them away, 
put false gods and temporary saviors, creature comforts that may be good and godly things, but if they draw our hearts away from Jesus, do we really want them around? Are they worth it? Or is the call just like it was in Joshua 24? Put away false gods. Put them away. NCC, commit. Challenge part four also comes from verse 15. It reads, And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Now, a lot of us, we focus on that choose this day whom you will serve, and we're good there. We're like, well, yeah, I choose Jesus. But this first part seems interesting. If it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord. What? We are talking to God's children. God is talking to his children, the nation that he established in Shechem so far before that he's brought them back. His children, the nation he created, the nation that he established and set apart, if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord. That seems strange, doesn't it? Why would it be evil? Why would there be a mindset? Why would there be a thought that serving the Lord could be evil? I would argue that it's not strange at all. And I would argue that now we feel that maybe more than ever. For there are purposes today, challenge part four is clean your glasses. My wife Kristen often reminds me to clean my glasses because I'm really bad at it. They are dirty. Um, I, I just forget. Anybody else with glasses, you just forget? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I'm not alone. I appreciate that. It just makes me feel better. But often she'll look at me and she's like, hey, can you clean them? And, and every time I clean my glasses and I look around, I'm going, oh, there you are. Your hair's different. I didn't know. No, but, but really, there's, there's things that build up on my glass. I just forget. I don't even realize they're there. We had this moment, it was funny, so uh, Miles and Josh this week, they replaced a ton of the lights in this room. We had a lot of lights that, are burnt, that were burned out, and when I stepped on stage this morning to kind of start walking through mic checks and things, they turned the lights on, and I just stood here going, what is going on? Like, why are there so many lights shining in my face? And I realized it's because I didn't realize how many lights were out. Because over time, I had come to live in this mindset of, well, this is just the way that it is. And when my glasses are dirty, there's times when I'll pull them off and I'll clean them and I'll go, man, I didn't even realize how messed up they were. Don't we do that with life? Things build up over time and we begin to see that our perspective of the world is littered and filtering through things that are not good, that are not biblical. Just like Israel, we all face cultural pressure as Christians. And if we are not careful, we will allow culture and those pressures to dirty the lenses of our minds. And will cause us to see Jesus incorrectly and respond to him accordingly, thinking we're doing the right thing. And so what we do is we shape this form of Jesus in our perspective, through our lenses. 
through the way that we see the world. And we, we put all this stuff together and we make, like, yeah, I worship Jesus. And what we are really holding is an idol. We are holding a God that we have fashioned in our image and in our likeness. This should not be. Why do we do this? Why do we allow things to get so dirty? Why do we allow things to get so littered and unclean? I believe because at one point or another, we have all felt the tension and pressure to cave on things that Scripture would tell us are true in order to appear more accepting, more, less holy roller, less goody two-shoes, whatever words you want to put in there. Make no mistake, church. We live in a day and an age where because of what Scripture teaches, if we hold it as the ultimate authority for how we live our lives, and if you are a Christian in this room, the answer to that should be yes, it is. The ultimate authority for my life. And so we allow things that, because of what Scripture teaches, if we hold to it, we will be called evil. We will be called unloving or closed-minded. We will be called bigoted. You will not get invited to certain social gatherings because of the way that you follow Jesus. You'll be talked about behind closed doors. You'll walk into a room with some coworkers and suddenly everyone goes quiet. You'll be viewed as a menace. And in days to come, it could be worse. If you do not resolve to know Christ and him crucified and proclaim that above all else and rest in that solid ground, if you do not choose this day whom you will serve, even though all of the world may say it is evil in our eyes to serve the Lord, if we do not choose this day who we serve, if we don't step into those spaces and say, as for me in my house, we serve the Lord, then the enemy will whisper in your ear the same way that he did back in Genesis 3, and he will say, hey, did God really say? Did God really say that? Is it really sin? Is it, I mean, look, it can't, it can't be that bad, right? It's not that bad. I mean, I know, I know it's true for you, but is it really true for everybody else? And we'll be deceived. NCC, there are things in life that if Scripture said they weren't sin, it would be a lot easier. It just would. You wouldn't feel all the pressures you do, but we must look our sin in the face and be killing it before it kills us. But we go, but you know, I just don't think that Scripture applies that way. There's a quote from Charles Spurgeon where he says, the word of God is an anvil upon which the opinions of man are smashed. It does not matter how we opinionate about scripture. It does not matter how I feel about a certain thing. This is my filter, not my feelings. Scripture is the ultimate authority for our lives, not how we feel. When Jesus calls us to himself, when he says, hey, if you want to follow me, he says, you know what, if you want to follow me, come, get your favorite hoodie, your iced latte, 
find a nice cozy beanbag chair and let's just, let's just sit down in this thing and we're just going to let life breeze by however we feel it. No. He says, if you want to follow me, you will come and pick up your cross. An instrument of torture and death that they had to create a word to describe the amount of pain that was felt on the cross. The word excruciating comes from the pain that was felt on the cross. They had to invent a word. And Jesus says, if you want to follow me, excruciating daily. You want to follow me, excruciating daily. You die to your opinions, to your feelings, to your flesh every day. Why? Because you don't see it rightly. Because your glasses are dirty and you need me to show you the right way to live. Because we get it wrong. We get it wrong, church. And daily we must clean our hearts and our minds. NCC, commit. Commit. Challenge part five is found at the end of verse 15. It says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Commit to the call. You know, Joshua, he's got this job in front of him. He's got all the nation together. They're presenting themselves before God, and he's supposed to issue this challenge from God. And he's saying all these things, and it's, it's likely that societal pressure has brought up that this is, this is going to be as uncomfortable for them as it probably feels for us a little bit. These are big commitments. They're big statements. And then Joshua says, you know what? If all of you say, no. Me and my house, we will. We will serve the Lord. If everybody else walks away, we're doing this. We are faced with the same challenge. Each of you in your individual households is faced with the same challenge. Because here's the deal. I can stand on this stage and say all day long, NCC, as a church, we serve the Lord. But that means next to nothing if our individual households, if the hasty home does not say, as for me and my house, we serve the Lord. If your house does not say, as for me and my house, we serve the Lord. This is both a corporate and an individual call. When speaking of the wise man who builds his house on solid ground, Jesus tells us that the wise man is one who hears these words of mine and does them. It is not enough for you and I to understand that it is challenging to be a Christian in our modern day. It is not enough for us to know that we will face opposition as we fear the Lord and serve the Lord and put away the false gods. It is not enough for us to know that these things are going to happen if we never do anything. Oh, you know, it's going to be hard. High dive scary. Walk down the ladder. But that's what we do. I've done that. More often than I'd like to admit. If not for the grace of God, right? Church, the false gods of our culture will consistently call us away from the God of Scripture. And we will be tempted to embrace false gods of convenience, false gods that affirm sin, false gods that tell us that Scripture is not completely true or trustworthy, or it's just true for us, but not for everybody else. 
NCC, we must choose this day whom we will serve. And I can't do that for you. Only you can do that. You know, I honestly believe, though, that it's a good thing that culture draws such hard lines. I really do. I believe it is a good thing that culture draws hard lines between itself and Christianity. Because it's doing what the church should have done a long time ago. Culture has chosen this day whom it will serve. They're not flipping back and forth on it. Are we as steadfast? Are we as sure in our commitment to the call? As for you and your house, who will you serve? NCC, commit. Commit. The team is going to come, and they're going to lead us in this time of reflection and prayer. They're going to sing the song that I referenced earlier, that I first heard as a sixth grader at a youth camp. It's a song called Clear the Stage. And as they lead us in the song, this is what I would like for us to do. I'd like for us to not let this just be another message. Just another close to a series with a song that we sing that we like. We do this stuff every week. It has to move beyond this room, church. It's got to move into our own homes. Otherwise, what are we doing? Wasting time before we get to watch a big game? Where are our hearts? We must commit this day whom we will serve. So I got stuff written, things I got to say, whatever. I don't care. Anything we put before God is an idol. NCC, we must choose Jesus and Jesus alone. It's too easy. And then when storms come, when floods rise, we sit back and we go, why is everything falling down around us? Because we never committed. Because we gave lip service to the God who loves us so much that he gave himself as an offering on our behalf, paying a debt we could not pay for the sin that we are so wretched with. NCC, commit. May it be Jesus and Jesus alone. As we sing, let us repent. Don't reflect. Repent of the sin that enslaves our hearts. And let's thank Jesus for his grace. Let's do that together, can we? Thank you for listening to this episode of the North Canton Chapel Podcast. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please share this episode with your friends or spread the word on social media. If you subscribe and leave a five-star review, it goes a long way to helping us make much of Jesus every day to everyone who hears these podcast episodes. You can also donate to this ministry at ncchapel.com forward slash give. 
Thanks again for joining us. May you go out into your places and spaces, making much of Jesus every day to everyone.